0: Welcome to Season 3 of Beta Talk, the energy podcast which talks to the people at the front line of renewable energy technologies, the engineers. Please follow us on your podcast streaming platforms, such as Spotify, and if you use iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating as this helps new listeners find us with search engines. Beta Talk supports solar thermal. That little pool of hydrogen up there does very well at providing this planet with the heat it needs. We should be doing more to research solar heat technologies, methods, and processes. Our future generations won't thank us if we continue to look at energy for the heating industry as a two-horse race, electric and hydrogen. This season's podcast is sponsored by Energy Systems Catapult and Evergreen Energy, and we can listen to their short messages now. Evergreen Energy aim to help homeowners cut their heating bills, reduce carbon emissions and improve comfort levels by installing bespoke heat pump systems. Each installation is completed to the highest standard by quality assured local installers. Evergreen Energy can even support you with the cost of a heat pump installation through the government's funding schemes. You could pay nothing at all. Head to www.evergreenenergy.co.uk and use their funding calculator to see how much CO2 and money you could save. Energy Systems Catapult works with innovators and government to tackle the hardest problems we face on the way to net zero, helping businesses create new low carbon products and services that consumers want. And now for the show. Welcome to Beta Talk. I'm today joined by uh, John, John, I always call you Coppice, John, because that's your Twitter handle. What's your last name again, buddy? John Taylor. <laughs>
1: Taylor.
0: <laughs> that's it, John Taylor. John Taylor and I both live in Ipswich, and uh, only a stone's throw away from each other. And John is from the Greater South East Energy Hub. And I'm going to be talking with him about these energy hubs and about local community energy, because there's some exciting things going on. And, and I think uh, not a lot of people actually are aware of the energy hubs or, or, or the Local energy strategies, or um, you know, the energy community groups that we've got around this country. So, so John, can you just explain to to the to the listener what you actually do, please?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it was good to find out you lived in Ipswich. I knew you on Twitter and the um, podcast before that, so that's a nice surprise. Um, yeah. So the energy hubs we were set up just over a couple of years ago by Bays, um and our role is to work with local authorities and LEPs around the regions in the UK to accelerate the delivery of local energy projects. Um, and that covers the whole energy system. It can be renewable energy, it can be retrofitting buildings, renewable heat, um, and it, electrification of transport is all in the mix. Um,
0: and there's five, if I've got this right, there's five energy hubs in the country, isn't there?
1: That's right, yeah. So we're the South. Northeast. we're based the counties around London and London itself and then we've got similar teams covering the Southwest the Midlands and the northeast Northwest so all of England like that
0: and, and it's something that was it's it gets funded by Bays have I got that right
1: yeah so Bayes set them up um, initially yeah, um, as part of the clean growth strategies a couple of years ago so it was just before this whole net zero climate emergency movement got going so it's good timing actually um so claire perry set them up when she was energy minister and the reason was these regional local enterprise partnerships when it came to energy had a bit of a blind spot for everything that you like to talk about in terms of renewable heats and local energy systems they were very good on big projects like offshore wind and nuclear but yeah just everything else um in terms of onshore energy just wasn't wasn't getting represented so we were um first of all they either there money was given to lets to do regional energy strategies um so there we've got the national kind of carbon budgets that the committee on climate change do but these are more localized versions of those in effect so there's one for east anglia one for the midlands one for the south east just so what do those areas need to contribute in terms of yeah, a decarbonisation across heat, power, transport to meet these carbon budgets. So it's kind of that middle, a bridge between national government and local councils. See,
0: so. so I'll just, so I'll just try and um, uh, for the for the for the, for the listener. So lo- obviously we've got local authorities in this country. Core, cool. how many local authorities have we got? Three hundred plus. Oh, yeah, easily in our patch alone, there's about one hundred and fifty. Oh, maybe we're up, to, maybe six hundred then. Mate, I don't know. Um, <laughs> But, and then obviously local authorities, some local authorities, they group up, don't they, into into what we call LEPs, LEPs, don't they?
1: Yeah, so they partner. So in East Anglia where we are, we've got Norfolk and Suffolk joined together to make new Anglia LEP. Um, and then that's got representatives from the council leaders, but also the private sector. So Anglian Water, Adnams, other big key employers, all contribute to an economic plan for the regions. Oh, a lot of <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> we've got we've got a good brewery haven't we in this area so you've got these leps so that they're sort of like uh, the local authorities will partner up and make leps two three four five and then the region the hub that's local to us the great southeast energy hub that's made up of 11 leps isn't it? 11 leps have I got that right
1: that's right so um as a team we kind of split the region up between us so there's four of us as energy project managers We each a geographical territory so I although I live in Ipswich I focus my efforts currently on south of the Thames so Kent, Sussex, Surrey, Brighton that sort of patch Um, and then yeah likewise other team members fill in the gaps around there and I also get involved with supporting the community energy sector in our region as part of my role as well so I do that we have another grant fund called the Rural Community Energy Fund, which we run for Bays, which gives out grants to rural communities that want to take a lead on developing their own renewable energy projects.
0: So let's, so, so let's say a village wants to, you know, they've, had, they've had a little meeting maybe in the village hall and they want to do something in their village uh, that involves renewable heat or something like this. They get hold of the hub, do they? And then they can call down on the funding. Is that right?
1: That's exactly that, yeah. So any we've seen loads of parishes now, each kind of coming up from the grassroots, very interested in climate emergency action and looking for something tangible to do, and they can come to us for support. In um, yeah, we can give give them some funding to engage professionals like your listeners and yourselves to come up with an energy plan for them effectively. So. A lot of groups have done this sort of thing in the past, but it's mainly focused on solar panels. Um, So like people forming village energy co-ops to crowdfund investment into solar panels on say a primary school or a community centre. Some groups have been a bit more organised and become a bit more professional about it and have done that for solar farms. So getting into the kind of commercial energy space, but increasingly they're now starting to look at renewable heating as well. Um, and that's where it gets really interesting, I think, because yeah, that's mm. got to be the next big wave of decarbonisation. The energy systems catapult say so. The committee on climate change do. It's got to be about switching heating systems and insulating buildings, and that needs local action. It needs everyone to buy in. And yeah, mm.
0: what about what about like uh, registered social landlords or or developers or? Um, landlords own um, homes of multiple occupancy and things like this. Are, are they able to access this funding?
1: Um, social landlords can. Yep. So um, yeah, the eligible organisations are parish and town councils, social landlords, charities, and then uh, community co-ops, industrial provident societies. Yep. Um, but yeah, if there's a landlord that's got a lot of housing stock in a rural area, all on oil. Or storage heaters, LPG. They, we've seen a few looking at, um, yeah, putting in ground source heat pump systems, little mini heat networks. Really exciting stuff.
0: Yes, so, I mean, can the private landlords, Is it? Is it? Is this anything for the private landlords, or I suppose, unless they're owned by charity, that they they can't access the funding from this. I suppose can they, or can they? Well.
1: Private landlords could be a beneficiary of it, I would say. So if a community energy group wanted to form in a village and develop um, kind of a mini heat network for the village, which involved selling the heat or installing a heat pump system on a private landlord's property as an energy service, heat as a service type arrangement, then that could be um, perfectly possible.
0: And uh, I know that our one like like you say, we're, we're in the greater southeast energy hub, I don't know, is this the biggest one? I suppose because we've got London. Well, yeah, population-wise yeah. it is. It's yeah, a yeah. Big one. And we're split into six local energy strategies, I think. I've got that right. Um, I want to make sure my listeners don't think I know all this stuff. We <laughs> take off by heart. Uh, I've had to research this. Um, and, and you'll get like the local energy strategy and you'll get energy south to east. Uh, sheer yep. local energy strategy, I think there is. There's Oxfordshire mm. energy strategy. Is that the one you work out, actually, the Oxford one?
1: Um, um we cover Oxfordshire, my colleague Paul covers Oxfordshire and you've got the low carbon hub doing some good stuff on community energy there. Um those energy strategies you mentioned, they were um again funded by Bays just before the hubs were set up. So again, yeah, they're that regional snapshot of what's possible in terms of each region's strengths when it comes to renewables and energy and how it can then contribute to the carbon budgets. I would probably say they're a little bit out of date now just because they were done when we still had an 80% carbon reduction target so they've not been updated for the net zero targets like obviously nationally we have the committee on climate change's work and the kind of legal targets for net zero 2050 in the carbon budgets and locally we have local plans and yeah councils have climate emergency action plans and policies but in the middle um Yeah, we now have these regional energy strategies as well. Um, So, yeah, there's a tri-lep energy strategy covering East Anglia with Cambridgeshire, Norfolk, Suffolk. Yeah, looking at what their region strength is for um, contributing to renewables and um, everything on that front. Um, Down in the south, you have the south to east energy strategy. So all the councils and leps from Hampshire through to Essex um, combined to do an energy strategy for that region as well um, that was produced by Siemens and that was looking at again across heat power transport smart grids what's the level of investment and projects needed for this region to contribute to these national carbon targets um, I think they came up with a number yeah at least 15 billion pounds needed over the next decade of investing in local energy projects to keep up um, and this I should add was Prior to the net zero targets, this was working to an eighty percent reduction by twenty fifty target. So I'd I'd say they probably need a little bit of updating as well.
0: But these these were implemented before the energy hubs, weren't they?
1: Yeah, it was around the same time. So they right. did the energy strategies first, and then they set up as a as a team to be an extra resource to um, help implement some of the projects identified in them.
0: And when and when you say a strategy, do, I mean do these do they actually sort of write down a strategy for what they actually need in that particular local area? Cause there's something that we talk, something I talk about quite a lot with our, my sponsor energy systems catapult. You know, they talk about, um, Oh crikey, local area, energy. Oh, I can't remember what it's called now leaps or something. Uh, you might know. Can you remember? But then the, um, the, the whole thing about local is very, very important, isn't it? Because obviously people living in rural areas is going to be completely different to somewhere up north, maybe in, in big, big cities or, we need this sort of local element, don't we, to our our, st- our planning? Um, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of local area energy plans. I think they're going to be a really big thing going forward.
0: That's the one, That's what I'm trying to think of. Local area energy plans,
1: wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so the energy systems council have been championing these, but I think they're a really good idea. Um, in that, yeah, yeah. In a local area, the geography is going to be really. You're going to come up with different solutions depending on what you've got to work with. So some areas will be good for heat pumps. Some will be good for district heat networks. Others will need other solutions. Um, so yeah, I think the energy hubs are in a really good position to pull together all those parties, like UK power networks, the gas networks, the councils, and um, the housing providers, and get them all round a table along with Ofgem and, and, and yeah, just to look at a region and assess. Okay, how do we plan this? What's going to be most suitable where? And I think. Um, yeah, that localised approach is going to be really valuable going forward, and that, that's going to need yeah um, people to participate in as well through community energy groups and um, parishes and as consumers as well.
0: I think it's very important, and and, and I might speak with uh, Energy Systems Catapult, because I might be able to help. A little bit, because obviously every local area will need to know who the uh, the good engineers are in that area. And obviously, as we know, mm. well, as my listeners know, um, thank goodness, you know, it's, it's very hard to ascertain nowadays who a good engineer is. And I know lots of people say, "Oh, well, I've got a good engineer, and they've done this and done this mm. <laughs> I, I would debate that, um, um, but I I can help people know who the good engineers are in, in different regions. I mean, funny enough, we we've got I've got Guy Newey coming on from Energy Systems catapult to speak very soon and uh, that guy is uh, a wonderful guy. Guy used to actually be the special advisor to the energy secretary, Amber Rudd, and mm-hmm. he was also, I think, the energy and climate advisor to um, Greg Clark, who was the secretary of state for Basel. So, yeah, yeah. he's going to be coming on and we'll, we'll talk quite a lot, I think, about these, are um, called local area energy plans. Have I got that right? That's the one, yeah. Local area energy plans. I think they're very, very important. You know, I grew up in rural Norfolk. Mm-hmm. And you would not, um, you know, deal with that housing stock the same way you would do, let's say, I don't know, in Birmingham, Manchester or wherever. You know, everyone yeah. has different needs. There's different people living in these homes. The homes, and the thing is with engineers, local to them areas, the local engineers, and they will know the building fabric. You know, you, you've you got yeah. 2035 coming up, so the, the guys I know that are, uh, and girls I know that are sort of, uh, do, doing that. They will know the local building fabric. Very, very important. Um, so, how, how long have you been involved in this, John? What, how long have you been sort of doing this thing?
1: Well, I, I've actually been involved in renewables and energy efficiency and all that probably since the mid-2000s. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: I've been working um, for, as in the world of local authorities on fuel poverty and climate change programmes since about 2008. And prior to that, I studied for a couple of years at the Centre for Alternative Technology out in Wales on green building, architecture and renewables.
0: So you know my friend friend Brandon, he's one of the Beta Talk engineers that's been on here because he studied there around about the same time, didn't he?
1: Yeah, well, we started exactly the same time. Yeah, I know Brandon really well. And yeah, yeah, another good surprise to hear he was another face behind one of the Twitter names we follow.
0: He's so. he's a, he's a fanta- fantastic engineer, Brandon. Like He he actually, I think I recorded my first ever podcast with Brandon uh, Dyford and Steve up in Wales. Um yeah, it's fantastic. He's obviously living in New Zealand now. We've lost him. <laughs> oh, no, I know.
1: Well, yeah, I've, I've definitely got to go back through your back catalogue and catch up on a few things.
0: Yeah, he's done a few, but the thing is, with with all the bait talk and bait teach engineers, they they are in a community where they learn from each other. Mm. So uh, he's still a very, very important, very important asset. He's he's one of my solar thermal experts. Um, yeah. So what? I mean, what did you what did you study at CAT, which is the centre of alternative technology, isn't it? For anyone, that's right. Known? Yeah. So that was,
1: um, it was a really broad course. It was a called architecture, but it was basically any angle of energy you wanted to look at. So we did modules on solar PV, solar thermal. We did it on natural building materials and insulation like hemp, lime and timber construction. Um, yeah, I did other stuff around water and energy, the history of the electricity grids. So I managed to spend some time looking at that. That was really interesting.
0: They they train people in heating systems up there?
1: Well, yeah, they do short courses there, and I think they've now branched into yeah more formal teaching as well. Um, and yeah, that's they've really pioneered like since the nineteen seventies uh, training in solar and biomass and uh, increasingly heat pumps. And uh, they called them alternative technologies back then, but I'd say they might have to have a rebrand soon because that's the way it's all heading now—not so alternative anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's quite interesting. I remember I did, I did a workshop. Uh, an event and there was some, uh, a lecturer from Cat there uh, looking at my workshop and I was doing a little bit of a uh, sort of delivering a sort of bit of a workshop on a, a, around um, Henry's law and and aeration devices that we should have on heating systems. Everyone obviously knows all about magnetic filters the most overrated product on a heating system hmm. that doesn't actually stop corrosion it's not actually good at collecting it either but we should have de devices on which are about the same price and uh, as we heat water up uh, air comes out of solution and we can vent it off with these air separators and I remember the, the lecturer from CAT came up to me said, I've never seen these before in my life and they've been around for donkeys years, decades um, it's just uh, they weren't marketed in this country um, okay. as, as well as magnets so, and, and, and we have got a big problem with corrosion on our heat systems which is one of the reasons why we should have low temp heat systems because if you reduce the temperature of a heat system you massively reduce corrosion. Uh, our industry never told us that, though, or never told engineers. <laughs> Once you get it, it likes to sell magnets or chemical inhibitors. But there you go. Uh, don't, don't don't get me ranting on that. Because <laughs> I'll upset a few people. Yeah. Um, so, you and I, uh, you and I uh, shared something about the UK Power Network the other day. Didn't, didn't we? It might have even been today. So, they're, they're doing something and they've got some leaflets out for consumers and, and local community groups. Am I right?
1: Yeah, so UK Power Networks, they obviously manage all the local electricity grids and substations. And if we are going to be switching over to heat pumps and electric cars, then they really need to be involved and know what's coming. So they've been undertaking an exercise to understand the impacts all this is going to have on their um, infrastructure. And they've done an exercise called um, a distribution future energy scenario. So they've mapped out who's buying heat pumps and evs and solar panels and batteries where they are currently and they've kind of extrapolated that out into the future at kind of a postcode level for their network to kind of understand how this is going to grow and then impact on the energy networks because it's going to have a big impact on the cost of it all if we do it in a planned way versus an unplanned way um, in terms of yeah, are we going to have to spend a load of money reinforcing substations and changing fuses and all that? Mm. So they're very interested in getting um, more intelligence on this.
0: Who, who coordinates this? So obviously we, we're talking about energy system catapults, uh, local, air, local area energy plans. Now, who, who sort of would, it's, it's good that lots of people come together to talk, and obviously I'll try and get the engineers to be involved. Everyone's coming to the table to chat about stuff, what's, what's suitable. Who Who kind of coordinates it? Is that, is that the actual hub that coordinates it?
1: Well, I can see it's potentially playing a, that role. It's not been formalised yet, and it's never been done before, so it's kind of up up to us to make it happen, I guess. Um, so, really happy to kind of talk to various people and see if we can get something going.
0: Hmm. What well, I mean, what's what are the sort of projects we we've got going on in the areas at the moment in in, in this area, maybe? So.
1: Probably uh, there's some really interesting community energy projects that are happening on renewable heat at the moment. So I'll just run through a few of them quickly. Maybe we can go into them in a m- more detail. But um, through the Rural Community Energy Fund, we've supported a few village scale renewable heat networks.
0: Okay.
1: So down in a village called Furl in Sussex, um, there's a, a community energy enterprise called um, BESCO, Brighton and Hove Energy Services Company. And they're working with a, a village that's all on oil at the moment to put in hut, uh, lots of shared loop ground source heat pumps and then connect each property in the village to these shared loop networks mm-hmm. um, as well as insulating the properties at the same time. Um, so that's a really exciting project we've done. Is, should that, be is, being that, built out.
0: is that with, um, I know the lady's name, I think I've spoke with her. Kayla. Yeah, that's yes, right. Yeah, yeah, Kayla's
1: great. Yeah. She's um, been pioneering that. Um, so that's going to be coming to fruition soon. Um, similarly, in Cambridgeshire, there's a village called Spoff and Pryor. They've been working with Cambridgeshire um, County Council to do another village heat network where this time they're doing a big centralised energy centre with solar feeding into it, air source heat pumps, and a large ground source borehole array, um, which will then deliver a higher temperature heat network around the village. Um,
0: yeah, so they contacted me actually. At Bayes, uh, the Heat Network Department at Bays. I think someone okay. posted something on Twitter, uh, the hmm. Times article about that. And then I uh, I made a comment and some people made some comments. Some of my engineers made comments. And yeah, the, the next day, uh, the, the Heat Network Department at Bayes contacted me and said, Nathan, would you like to be uh, put in contact with all the people in charge of that project? Um,
1: uh-huh.
0: And they, uh, which was nice of them. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of anyone that. did contact me back. I think one person did. <laughs> uh,
1: okay, well, yeah, I'm in touch with them too. Yeah, it'd be good to have a chat. Because I think, yeah, whether we go down this, like say, the temperature matters like whether it's a centralized high temperature network or a decentralized low temperature network or whether you just do multiple individual property heat pumps as a heat as a service package i think they're all kind of models that need mapping out and working out which is
0: well there's various things you could do with the project like that and so, so who actually makes the decision what does get done in, in something like that situation
1: well it, it, if it's led by the community then you need some a kind of a community leader to kind of step forward and say we want to give this a go here so that yeah. could be someone from a parish council it just could just be a someone like kayla who's champions community energy for a long time and built up this organization um yeah so there's another project in sussex led by um community energy south um, who another um they're working with uk power networks to look at yeah, what we were talking about earlier with the whole impact on the substations if everyone switches to heat pumps at the same time, on a project called Community Heat. So um, yeah, and, and, and again, there's social landlords and councils looking at it as well. So it's.
0: And then, do they speak-
1: to look into? It can come to us.
0: Do just for like, instance like the Swaff and Pryor one. I mean, would they take how do they take advice of what Because as 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 we know, you can have an ambient loop, which is obviously what mm. um Kayla's doing and I should imagine that's Kenza. Is that who they would I be, suspect doesn't? so, yeah.
1: yeah. She heat pumps.
0: And then obviously then with this the Swaff and Pryor, I mean, I don't know if they've decided what they would do, but obviously if you do have central plant, central heating pump plant, um, you kind of got to get that right, and obviously, I, mm. I've been in the industry a long time. You get these energy centers, you'll get these big companies come in, and they say, "Yeah, you have this, 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 and this." Yeah. And of course, the people in the community don't really know that technology. They end up having it, and they end up having something that's not actually that great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if I'm not. Um, so it, that's always it's, it's the same with domestic. It's the same with the domestic customer. You know, how do they know who a good engineer is and what they're doing is, is mm. good? It might work. Uh, it will work usually. Um, but whether it's working effectively and efficiently is another matter. I mean, the Swaffen Prior one does actually interest me. I'll try and get in contact. I mean, I, if they are going mm. central plant, I mean, I think um, you can get bespoke heat pumps built uh, that use um, for the working fluid ammonia, and they uh, they can yeah. actually be- become very efficient. Um, okay. I might have a little chat chat with you or, or yeah. you about that.
1: I think that's a really good point, though, because yeah. Uh, Like we have to scale up all this really quickly if we want to deliver in the time frames we want to so trust and getting the right advice early on is going to be crucial to that so we can we can do a bit of it through the rural community energy fund at the moment where yeah parishes and groups can apply for us to do feasibility studies and we can help them with the initial procurement to get a range of quotes and make sure they're framing the project correctly but yeah, we still need to learn and evaluate and improve all the time
0: with these. It is, it is very hard. It's very hard at all scales. You know, as, as my mm. cousin likes to say, my blessing, my cousin works seven days a week. He loves it. He's, he'll always say, you know, uh, this isn't rocket science. It's a lot more complex than <laughs> mm. <laughs> it is. Uh, energy and how you sort of distribute heat or, or cooling is, is, is quite complex. And I think what happens is there's lots of energy consultancy companies. They'll come in and they can sound bloody brilliant. And mm. who knows whether what they're going to do is good or not? Because that's a, uh, that's the problem. Uh, but trust me, there is good engineers out there. I mean, I made it my job to map that market and and suss out who they are. And uh, you know I can help people understand sort of, who the good engineers are to chat to, and sort of what the technologies are. I mean, there's not always uh, as as we us engineers like to say. It's a bit of a joke we're using now. But there's no panacea, and <laughs> we changed the words about it at the moment. So, no, there's, there's no panacotta. I mean, there's even t-shirts. <laughs> There's even T-shirts you can buy with this logo on. Um, but it is it is a problem. You know, I know people that work in very big energy centres for like NHS property, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And they walk in and think, crikey, what's all this equipment in here for? And the problem is you'll get consul- um, consultants who will get a percentage for the equipment they put in. So you mm. kind of end up with these energy centres with all this stuff in there. Half of it do not even need to be in. Um, <laughs> And that's not efficient <laughs> no. and of course it looks it looks good you know for anyone that doesn't really know what a plant room or an energy center should look like they're walking and think oh wow this looks good doesn't it it's brilliant and yeah. uh, it's it, they're complex things and you do need mm. to know and trust the right people to do it because yeah, hard yeah I think
1: that's partly the problem with how we market energy at the moment is like whether it's a household or a company you expected somebody comes in they sell you a piece of kit and they install it and walk away and you're left to run it and operate it Mm. and buy the fuel and all that whereas i think if we're really i think there's a lot of potential in this whole heat as a service or comfort as a service business model where whoever's installing and designing that piece of kit has a long-term interest in making it sure it's going to be optimized and work for the long term I think it's a brilliant
0: I think it's a brilliant initiative i've I've been speaking to a lot of people about mm. uh, one of my engineers fascinating a- unbelievable engineer, and it took him a little while to get it in his head and, and I said to him it, it did with me and you know, when I first come across this, it just didn't sink into my head and I was like, what, what is this? what is it and then it went like like a lot of things it just clicks and it just does make sense it, it incentivizes whoever is the service provider of the service, and there's different services they can provide, mm. but it incentivizes them to be extremely efficient. And once again, they will need to know who the good engineers are to, to implement that. And I've, I've, had, uh, I've had some investors ring me up to ask about that. Um, I've organized some meetings with sort of the, the uh, ECS team um, who are who, who sort of talk around sort of uh, heat as a service. Very interesting. I mean, we talked about it in the border industry a long time, or well, funny enough. it came up on Twitter yesterday. Uh, I know a lot of people in the border industry. My, my grandfather was one of the sort of four founders of the sort of border industry, I suppose, so I'm quite passionate about it, and there's some beautiful people in it, but arguably, our borders break down far too quickly than what they should do. Is, uh, you know they are made with crap components. Um, I'm not going to get into the debate where there's planned obsolescence, but they are crap A lot of the, you know, they're not lasting. And Mm. if you had an energy as a service uh, system, you've now got manufacturers that will compete to make a very good heat source because, of course, whoever's providing the service don't want them breaking down all the time because that that, that Mm. ruins their model. You know, if something can go on the wall or wherever on the floor that lasts and doesn't have to have parts, keep, uh, you know, someone driving out to put parts on it. It's, it's better for the service providers to be, to be able to work with a manufacturer who, who can make something that's going to last. Mm. So it's going to incentivize manufacturers to get off their backsides and make things a, a, a lot better than what they have done. Because, you know, I'll debate with anyone that they're doing a, doing a great, great job because it's a saturated market. It has been for a few decades now, the borders. I mean, we've kind the biggest in the world. Uh, mm. And it all became about the board. It all became about different components, magnets and all this Uh, and and everyone forgot it's a system you know you have to concentrate on the system and actually it's not just the heats if the building is a system as well the way air moves the way heat moves the way moisture moves it's a whole package and you have to look at it in terms and think of it in terms like that Um, yeah
1: and it's really daunting as well if you're a household and you're even if you are an expert in this sector if you're not an engineer you're not necessarily gonna you have to do a huge amount of research to kind of work out what's best and i think Yeah, if there was a trusted provider that could do that for you, I know we're heading in that direction where you get a retrofit coordinator to work with you on a plan and then it could come with affordability as well, isn't it? We know there's a huge upfront capital cost in terms of insulating buildings and potentially putting a heat pump, but there are massive long-term running cost benefits and carbon benefits. So, yeah, finding a way to package it all together with some trusted design and advice and some finance to spread that cost over. It's different to how this competitive energy market is at the moment. you are expected to switch every year or two or encouraged to, where you might actually have to sign a longer term contract and show some loyalty to someone. But
0: yeah.
1: I think, yeah, a lot of people would be up for that sort of service.
0: Well, I, I know with PAS2035, I mean, I've got Colin King coming on soon. Colin King helped sort of uh, develop PAS2030, 2030, 2035. And I think they're working on 2038 or, or 9, whichever one is the one for uh, commercial premises. And, um, yeah, it, it, that's, that's an interesting thing, PAS203, these energy coordinators or retrofit coordinators. And I think it's a good idea. But once again, they are going to have to know their stuff, especially when it comes to heating systems. You know, they're, they're, they might know their building fabric. But heat systems is complex trust me uh, yeah. and there's even ones i look at and i think crikey what is going on here and yeah mm-hmm. luckily i would find out pretty quickly because i'm kind of in that uh, cohort of the top engineers but and but the thing is with it with, with the past 2035 retrofit assessors i mean i'm already mapping that market i'm working out who's good in that market who, who are the ones there's a couple for instance that have come from the heating industry uh, so they know their heating systems and now they're, they're obviously learning about the build fabric. So there's going, to be, there's going to be good ones and there's going to be not so good ones of them as well. Um, and it doesn't matter what qualifications you've got. <laughs> Trust me, or whether you got Trustmark or whatever. Uh, that doesn't really... I want to talk... These energy hubs, they're funded by Beige. How, does that funding run out? Is there a projected uh, or forecasted uh, when, when it, they're going to stop the funding? How, how does that work? Um, we're
1: hopefully going to be finding out in the new budget what the future will be but I think hopefully we've proved ourselves useful quite <laughs> since we've been set up. Um, yeah, We have some core funding to do our normal service and yeah, generally our, our time is spent working with local authorities to develop the business case for um, yeah investing in energy projects whether it's their own estate or coming up with um, like wider programs, but we do also administer other funds on behalf of Bayes as well. So we do the Rural Community Energy Fund. Um, we've also just been given a contract to manage the next phase of the Green Homes Grant Local Authority Delivery Scheme as well. So that's running, um, yeah, at least for another financial year. So we'll wait and see, but hopefully this is the way it's going to work for the foreseeable future now.
0: Yeah, you and I interact with Nigel, don't we, from New Anglia? Um uh, yep. just, just explain what New Anglia is.
1: New Anglia Energy.
0: Mm.
1: Um, yeah, so Nigel Cornwall, um, yeah, he's got a very good interesting history in the energy sector. Um, yeah, worked in the civil service and then um was founder of Cornwall Insights, who do a lot of work in this sector. He's now yeah. Uh, being mischievous in the local energy space, um, yeah, trying to work out what's going to happen next in terms of local energy markets and hydrogen and um, net zero. Um, yeah, so, yeah, another very interesting person in our neck of the woods.
0: Yeah, Nigel, he, he knows his stuff, Nigel, doesn't he? He's been involved mm. in this for a long, long time. Uh, and I, and it's, it's a shame because we haven't all managed to sort of meet up and have a coffee because obviously we're all very close to each other, aren't we?
1: Yeah, yeah, we should um, definitely try and do that once so it's all a bit freer, because um, yeah. yeah, like I say, the community energy stuff I've been involved in, I've helped a lot of other groups do stuff, but I'd really love to do some of my own, like where I live, like here in Ipswich and Suffolk. And yeah, it's, it's helping people do stuff in Sussex and Oxfordshire and everywhere is great, but there's yeah, a big hole of activity in Norfolk and Suffolk which I think we could fill potentially.
0: How, how do how do sort of the local communities? Uh, get to know about you. I mean, obviously, there's a lo- there's loads of stuff out there that we have access to, whether it's funding or, or support, and a lot of the time we actually don't. We're not aware of it, are we? I mean, h- how do you guys sort of make yourself known to to the local communities that we've got out and about?
1: Um, well, we're currently doing some direct promotion to the parish council networks. Yeah. So a lot of them are gearing up for COP26 and doing uh yeah carbon and climate awareness so we're trying to make sure we're feeding into those sorts of newsletters um now that we've worked on some projects with the more experienced community energy groups we've got some good case studies so we really really want to start communicating those and um bringing new projects and new groups into the area as well Mm. Um, because there's there's been so much over the last 18 months you've seen everyone getting so much more interested in the climate emergency and extinction rebellion and all that. And I think it'd be great to channel that activism and energy into something productive. Um, So rather than just purely marches and protests in London, if you could actually, all the man hour and effort that goes into those, put it into building community energy systems as well. um, I think that's a potential way forward. Um, But yeah, it's, and there's, Umbrella organisations as well. We work with Community Energy England, um, who are an umbrella organisation representing all the community energy groups across England. And there's similar ones in Wales and Scotland. So we're trying to collate a lot of the information on their website as a central resource for community energy groups. To uh, it was, it's been a difficult few years in terms of the policy for feeding tariff was cut, and that was underpinning a lot of what community energy groups were doing. But now. Yeah, people are starting to get more confident in solar and renewable heats, and there are ways that communities can get organized and do this. So, I, well, think...
0: enough, I was talking to one just before w- w- you and I uh, got on to record this podcast uh, up, in, um, yeah. up in Bristol. I'm trying to think, uh, Compton, Compton, uh, what was it called? <laughs> I mean, there's, um, there's like Bath and West Community Energy up there, and there's Bristol Energy Co op, and I think this is a village, Compton. Uh, I've got uh, a little a little community energy group thing going on. Um, hmm. And they just rung up for some advice. It is nice, isn't it, that these communities are sort of getting very interested. Uh, well, yeah. you and I know Peter, don't we? So Peter just down the road from us, he's very interested in all this stuff, isn't he? Um, exactly, yeah.
1: And I think, yeah, sometimes people can be a little bit dismissive of the term community energy. And yeah, I can understand like it's not necessarily for everybody, like going out for meetings and organising and all that. But I think getting that sense of ownership over local energy systems is going to be really important for getting consent and buy-in to accelerate all this um and yeah some are voluntary groups that are satisfied just working on um working on fuel poverty projects and village halls but others are quite professional and doing some really their businesses in their own rights and Mm. the whole ethos is that you develop kind of a profitable commercial energy services and. Provide that to businesses and households that can afford it, and that then gives you the income to then develop services for those who can't in your community as well. It um, like the amount of money we spend on energy in the UK, and it disappears off to um, you know all these big six companies and foreign investment firms. If even a tiny portion of that is then fed back into the local economy and to support um, people. Uh, who are on more expensive heating systems or have health issues or whatever we want, really, I think that's the principle behind it.
0: Is there any technology that you personally like, John? I mean, obviously, uh, us engineers always say there's no panacea and we have to think about integration of a lot of technology <laughs> as a system, but, you know, obviously people like the heat pumps and, and, and obviously as they should, because they are good things and I, I'm known as being a bit of a solar thermal evangelist. What well, anything that you particularly like or would like to see? Um...
1: Yeah, I waver sometimes between the more rustic, just do a wood burner and insulate a bit through to the more space age set like hydrogen fuel cells, CHPs. But um, I think just thinking on my own house, I wish I'd put in an air source heat pump the last time the boiler needed changing. I was trying to make it last till these, some of these grant schemes came around, but I ended up just swapping out for a combi again. But in hindsight, looking at people like Tristan Lee and his system, I think I probably got could have got away with an air source heat pump. But uh, I'm in a I really like the shared loop ground source heat pump approach actually.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think mm-hmm. we're gonna need to yeah, try and lower the kilowatts used as much as possible. So the better COPs we can get on heat pumps, the better. And then if you can get streets or neighborhoods Coordinating in some form of smart grid type way, then that will help with local substation constraints and flexibility. And that's the area I'm, I think is really exciting. If you can all the houses on a substation loop, if you can get them, yeah, on shared loop ground source heat pumps or some form of coordinated virtual power plants, and then that's I think that's what the community heat projects trying to do in Sur, in Sussex and what Project Leo is trying to do in Oxfordshire um yeah i think that's yeah you've got once you've got each individual house having these smart meters and electric appliances if you can then connect them and run them in some form of flexibility club uh, or co-op then i think that's got a lot of potential
0: they they have haven't they they're very interested in these sort of uh i, I think some people when I, when I speak to people obviously about energy and, and the transition and where it's all going they do have uh, a fear of smart meters and things like this and, and it, it all being sort of automated and you know that, that it might go wrong and they might get cut off of their energy and same same with sort of gas i suppose in a way you know when, if you're on a grid mm-hmm. um so obviously as as some of the big key voices will say well you know we're, we're trying to come away from um sort of a centralized system to sort of these local types of system where you, you may be a little bit uh safer but I do, I, I mean, I've got, I know some very, very experienced oil engineers and that's sort of my, my background as well. And the thing mm. is with oil, you, the, the customer base for oil, they're quite unique to people that have been on a grid. Um, and the thing is with oil, once you've got your tank full, you are off grid if you want to be. So, I, you know, I could stick PV uh, on a roof, a battery, because you've only got to have the electric to run a, a circulating pump and the pump on the, the motor for your, your pump on your, on your burner. And you mm. can be self-sufficient. If, if, the, if the energy ever went off in this country and you've got oil and a little bit of PV and a battery, you've still got heat um, mm. because you're, for the whole winter. Um, yeah. And I, I think I can actually, see, well, I think I can see a market for that. There's a lot of people thinking, how can they, uh, well, I know there's some super rich thinking it without going mm. into the They, they want to know how can they be completely off-grid uh, because we've got the technology to do that, you know, we can yeah, put yeah. bore holes for water uh, with filtration systems, we can put PV, we've got battery storage, uh, we've got all these little things you can do and take people completely off the grid. I think there is a fear out there of people being on a grid in case, uh, you know, it all sounds lovely, it all sounds whizzy, it all sounds great how you can interact with it. and. Buy cheap electricity and sell it back and stuff like this. It sounds fantastic, but I, I know for a fact there are people that are concerned about being on a grid and would and, and like the idea of being completely off the grid. Um, and things obviously with a yeah. heat pump, and, and, and obviously if you're going to have solar power, solar PV, and, and batteries to run a heat pump, maybe for a week if the grid went down, yeah, mm. you're, you're struggling. But if you've got a great big tank of <laughs> kerosene, uh, you are off grid completely if you know what you're doing. Um, I'm going to be speaking to all of tech actually because obviously I want to talk to them a little bit about their, their fuel, um, and I know people people are probably listening to this and they'll be saying, "Nathan, you can't talk about oil. We mustn't talk about oil anymore." But you know we aren't going to be able to come straight away from these fuel types yet. And the, you know I grew up in rural England. There are people mm. out there that I know that still have chickens running around their front room, and why not? You know they're 90 mm. years old. Why can't they do that? That's their life. Um, we don't all live uh, in cities. And there's lots and lots of different ways people do live out in rural England. And we can't, we're not at the stage yet where, where we can afford to just go in their homes and completely change everything. It's got to be a step process. Definitely some mm. of them can have uh, with their oil. Uh, we can definitely start putting in things like solar thermal to help reduce their energy use. I mean, you don't use any oil in the summer. You've got solar thermal. I know because I've done it. Mm. Um, there's, it's exciting what goes on in these in, in these local communities, I think, isn't it? And you must yeah, an and there, well. Yeah, you
1: learn so much, and there's well, you like sometimes you think, oh, people are quite sceptical about renewables and changing. But actually, when you talk to people, they want to be involved, and they're really enthusiastic and creative about it. Um, yeah, I spent ten years working for Suffolk councils as a community climate change advisor. So yeah, I'd yeah roam the countryside, meeting groups and auditing village halls, and yeah, co- yeah, seeing all sorts of projects and. Yeah, you're right. It's, yeah, the rural, yeah, cities get a lot of attention when it comes to decarbonisation, but rural areas, yeah, have their own unique circumstances and challenges and, yeah, um, need their own attention, really. Um,
0: also, it's nice. Yeah, yeah I think it, with, it, it brings back a community spirit again, doesn't it? Because, you know, that, that has kind of got lost in rural areas. You know, I grew up in a big community, sort of, <laughs> well, my mum was always known in all the communities, let's put it that way. Um, but it, yeah. yeah, I think it's a nice way of bringing back the community sp- community sort of spirit
1: of things, isn't it? Yeah, and it spills over into other things people are interested in, like wildlife and nature and landscape. And there's a huge amount of um, unmanaged woodlands and old coppice woodland. That's the origin of my uh, Twitter handle is the whole, yeah, wood fuel potential and carbon sequestration potential of more coppicing. Um, and yeah, if we want more trees and hedgerows and all that in our landscape, then you're going to need an economic means of someone planting and maintaining them and if you can have a local wood fuel supply network that's sustainable at uh, the kind of that sort of level it gives a, a market for you know, some income to employ people to do all that um yeah so i'd still like to see more biomass i know there's some people concerned about the air quality issues but if i think if you do it at an appropriate scale and teach people how to burn wood cleanly and well and um, perhaps in more centralised heat network plants where you can scrub the emissions a bit, then, yeah, there's got to be potential role for wood fuel alongside heat pumps in rural areas, I would argue.
0: Yeah, well, as you know, I'm a, I'm a tree fan as well. I, I love uh, I love my trees. And I always forget, what's the difference between coppicing and pollarding? I can never remember. Um, um,
1: well, coppicing is, like, really close to the ground and pollarding is kind of higher up the tree, I think. That's Right,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Similar have, you, principle. have you got a favorite species of tree? Um,
1: well, that like hazel coppice, probably, oh, but hazel, okay. yeah,
0: hazel yeah. tree. <laughs> I always say I like rowing, I like the mountain ash, um, yeah, uh, and I like you. There's something quite, um, well, oh, I like of, you too. Some of our, yeah, so, <laughs> so, some of our oldest trees, and I think there's a yew, apparently that's been around <laughs> since the Romans first come here, yeah, they're um,
1: ancient, some of them.
0: They are, aren't they?
1: Mm.
0: You know, think of all, think of all the stories they could tell. Some of these trees, I, I love them. I, I mean, everyone mm-hmm. says, "What are you a tree?" I I'll, I'll say, "Yeah, I don't mind." I mean, I, I, when we, well, you, you'll know it. I call it Nacton Shores, uh, where you go down to the uh, the river, and there's some lovely old trees down there. And I always say to my daughter, "Let's, yeah, go, and, with, me. let's go and say hello to them, and, and and we touch them." You know, some of them are like six, seven hundred years old, and um, fascinating, fascinating trees. Well, I think that's a good, good. Uh, Good way to end it on the, on the trees, lovely, lovely, and positive. Well, it's been a pleasure <laughs> speak to you, you, John, and you and I are obviously going to meet up as soon as uh, as soon as we can, and uh, we'll have a, we'll have a nice coffee somewhere. Um, we'll probably at some point discuss more about sort of the uh, the, the local side of it, the local um, area energy plans. I know it's probably something I'm going to speak with Guy uh, when he comes on the podcast. I think the local element is very, very important to get this right. You can't have national strategies to decarbonize it has to be local um, yeah. um well, well it just 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 has to be really uh so thanks local. so much for john yes. and um i'll look forward to speaking to you soon excellent thanks nathan cheers buddy Bye. please remember to follow the podcast and please give it a rating if you use itunes or apple podcasts thank you to my sponsors evergreen energy Homely by Evergreen Energy is a smart thermostat which is specifically designed to work with a heat pump to make your home even cosier, greener and cheaper to heat. The thermostat uses clever sensors combined with real-time weather forecasts to create the best heating schedule for you. Heat pumps are already highly efficient renewable technology but combined with a Homely thermostat they are an even greener and more cost-effective solution. If you'd like to learn more or are interested in installing a heat pump or a homely thermostat, contact the Evergreen Energy Team on 0161 768 1143. Also, thank you to my other sponsors, Energy Systems Catapult, and please look them up on the website. Thank you.